Good. Matthew 18 is where we're going to be. Matthew 18, such a good passage. It's a popular passage. It's a stout little passage. There's a lot in there that we can really build off of. In fact, that's exactly what Jesus is doing. Uh, he is building off of uh, that very first passage that we did two weeks ago. And so this is kind of going to be the, the third sermon in this sermon series. And next week will be a fourth one because it kind of all just fits nicely together. And I am so glad that you're here to hear it today. In Matthew 18, we find a nice little succession of things that Jesus is building on. Kind of like parenting. <laughs> you don't teach your kid how to drive at the age of one, right? You teach them how to walk. You teach them how to maintain balance and control things. And then as they get older, you begin to build into them the necessary things to where at some point in time they're going to be able to drive a car, which is super scary for a parent, right? But even in math, I think about the way that I taught math. I didn't teach them how to do the quadratic formula right off the bat. I started with simple equations and how to work with letters and numbers and how they work together. Everything we do is stair-stepped, and Jesus is no different. He is teaching us about how to deal with believers, believe it or not. And so when we look at the very first five verses that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, it talks about the innocence of a believer, uh, the, the excitement of that believer, that, that believer that is new to the faith and new to all this stuff, and they're just passionate about it. And Jesus says, hey, that's how you need to be. You need to have that childlike faith. And we talked about how our childlike faith is a very mature faith. We need to be excited about what God is doing and what he has done. I think that's a problem with a lot of churches today is they're not excited about what God has done in their church, in their own lives, and they just kind of got complacent. We need to be back at that childlike faith. We need to be excited when we know God is moving and when he's working on people's hearts and when he blesses us and even when he allows us to go through the tough times. We need to have that childlike faith and be excited about it. And then last week we talked about verses 6 through 9 of the stumbling block where Jesus said, hey, don't you dare step on one of those. Remember, he brought the little child in among his guys and used that as an example. And he says, don't squash their excitement. Don't look down on these little ones. And he's really referring to new believers, believers like us, believers that are excited about it. And you know as well as I do that People like me that's been saved for a long time can see somebody that's new and fresh in the faith and I can look at them and say, oh, just give it time. You won't be as excited when you've lived as long as I have and seen the things that I've seen. We think that sometimes. But Jesus says, hey, stop thinking that way. They have it right. You've forgotten that first love. You've forgotten that initial joy when I entered your life. That's where I want you to be back to. Get back to that. He says, in fact, don't squash that. It would be better for you just to go find a millstone tied around your neck and jump in the lake. He's like, I want you to foster that excitement. I want you to be excited. I want you to remember what it was like to be childlike in your faith because that's the mature faith that I'm looking for. And then this week, we're going to look at what does it look like to go astray? What does that mean? What does that feel like? What does that, what does that really mean to go astray? And then next week, Jesus attacks and uh, deals with how to do restoration. How do you restore somebody that's kind of gone astray? How do, you, how do you put them back in? Now, all of these things that we're talking about are not about lost people. People that the normal church, the church like ours, would consider to be salvation-less, lost, away from God. This passage is talking about believers. People like you and me. People that have understood, been in church, they're a part of the fold, they're going after God. That's what this passage is talking about. Now I know when we get into one of these verses, you're going to see it and you're going to think, well, that's always been used for salvation. Yeah, that's true, but that's not really what he's going after here. He is specifically talking about a group of believers where one has gone astray and they are lost. Not salvation lost, but they're lost. You with me? Here's a thought for you today. 
Jesus deeply cares for his followers. Now, I know that that makes sense to us, and we say that, and we tell people that. But here's the question I want you to answer today. Do you really believe it? Do you really understand to the fullest capacity that God wants us to understand how much he loves and deeply cares for each one of you? Now, the reason I ask that question is because I have lived life long enough and I've been around enough people to know that we are easily discouraged in our walk. Things don't go the way we want them to go. Something bad happens in our life. Something tragic takes place and automatically the first thoughts that we have is, God hates me, God's against me, he's punishing me. What if that's not it at all? What if there's a better way to look at this and to think about how all of these bad scenarios in our life can actually be meant for our good? Now that's hard for us. That's abnormal for us. That's not how uh, the world would suggest to us that we live or to think. But the reality is that's exactly how Jesus suggests for us. So let's go to Matthew chapter 18. Let's dig into the scripture and let's see what he unpacks for us. Again, the first five verses are so important for us to understand that he's talking about the childlike, innocent faith that we all should have. Then he, again, last week we talked about the stumbling block of, hey, let's not be negative Nancys about, if you're named Nancy, I'm sorry, negative Nancy's about those that are truly excited and passionate about Jesus. Let's encourage that. Let's all get like that. Now, I'm not saying we all need to be charismatic and jump in the pews and going nuts. But daggone, when somebody gets saved, when somebody comes back from sin, when somebody experiences something great with God, let's be excited about the fact that God is still working on his people. We need that new joy, that renewed joy in the world that we're living in. We need to be excited about something. And I'm telling you this morning, he's worth the excitement. No doubt in my mind. So he gets to verse 10 and here's what he says. Again, he's, he's kind of continuing this whole idea of childlike faith. Don't mess with it. Watch what he says here. He says, take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. Now, what he's saying is this. He's not saying, make sure you don't hate them, because that's not the word that we're going with here. It's not hate. It's really looking at the idea of, don't look down on them. Don't mistreat them, okay? So again, we're talking about a group of believers, people that are excited and people that are childlike in their faith, still new, still learning, still excited, but mature. And he says, don't despise them. Don't look down on them. Don't... Hold your nose in the air and say, just give them time. They'll figure it out. He says, for I say to you that in heaven, their angels always see the face of my father who is in heaven. Wait a second. You mean I have angels that on my behalf are going face to face to God and talking with him about me? That's what Jesus says. He says, They're angels. That's personal. That's connective. That's mine. I love that. Jesus says, hey, don't look down on them. Why? Because I find so much value in that believer. I've got angels on their behalf going to the Father face to face talking to him about them. So who are you to look down on them? That's good stuff. Then you get verse 11. Now some theologians would actually take that verse out and put it somewhere else. They feel like sometimes it gets misplaced. But I don't believe so. I think it's the second encouraging thing that we can hear and allow us to see the the validation and importance of his believers. In verse 11 it says, For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. Now we know Jesus came to save the lost. Those that need him, that can't find their way, that have sin in their lives, that was us. But I also believe that the Savior, the Son of Man, came to save those who are lost in the moment. That have 
temporarily stepped away, that have gone astray a little bit, that have gotten blinded by the world and stepped away from the protection of the flock, the Savior is there to save them as well. So not only do we have importance to God because of the angels that he's put in charge over us, but Jesus came to find each and every one of us where we are. That's awesome. That's encouraging to me. What is also very uh, encouraging to me is it, it tells me that I don't have free permission just to go live how I want to live. And he'll just come fix it and rescue me. But if I get caught up, if I lose my way, if I get just a little distracted, he's coming after me. I love that. In fact, he goes on with a little bit of a story, an analogy. He says, what do you think? He's like, let me, let me, let me pick your brain here. What, give me your opinion. What do you think about this? He says, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray... Does he not leave the 99 and go to the mountains and seek the one that is straying? Now, let me, let me help you understand a few things here. Sheep are just dumb, okay? They just wander. But they also have this herd mentality that they like to stay together. But randomly, every now and again, one will wander off. And Jesus says, what do you think the shepherd will do? Now, this shepherd, he has a very important job. His job is to get up every morning take the flock, walk them out to feed and to water and to rest out into the field, protect them from all the little mean animals that could come and take them, and then march them back, put them in the pen, and then sleep for the evening, and then start the next day the same way. That's his job. And so if one wanders away, Jesus says, don't you think for one second that that shepherd is going to leave the 99 and go after the one? Now, let me, let me help you understand something. This is not talking about a, an unsaved, lost person. This is talking about a flock that belong to the shepherd, that are already his, that know his voice, that follow him because he's their leader. And the one has wandered away. And he leaves the 99, the ones that are strong and staying there. And he goes and finds the one. Now, many of us, if we wanted to, we could say, well, man, he he doesn't value the 99 because he's leaving them unprotected. That's not it at all. He loves the 99, but he loves the entire flock just the same. And he's going after the one. Now, a little caveat here. There's so many times when we have wandered away and we feel the pressure of God, the conviction of God, and we don't like it. Listen, let me tell you something. Embrace that conviction, that uneasy feeling that moves within your heart that you know what you're doing is wrong and the spirit of God is saying hey stop that embrace that it is the shepherd saying don't do it it's dangerous you're gonna get hurt I'm right here over here come towards my voice and if we're the good sheep that we're supposed to be we will follow that voice he leaves the 99 Not because they're unimportant or he loves them less, but because the one is important to him. Verse 13, and if he should find it. I think that's interesting to note. If he should find it. It's not guaranteed. But if he should find it. Assuredly, I say to you, he rejoices more over that sheep than over the 99 that did not go astray. Again, It's kind of like that thing where um, kids feel like when they do what their parents have asked them to do, they get this notion that they deserve something. I I don't know if your kids are like that. Mine are. Partly because that's how we raise them, unfortunately. But there's portions of which you just did the right thing. There's enough reward in that in and of itself. So a lot of times people will want to read that verse and think, well, why isn't he celebrating over the 99? Well, they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. 
There, there's a reward for being in the safety of that flock. There's a reward of following the master's voice. There's a reward in going and lying where he tells him to lie and eat where he tells him to eat and drink where he tells him to drink. There's a reward in not having the scars of the broken leg because that sheep that wandered away may have fallen in a cavern and had to be carried back. Please don't be blind to the fact that being safe in the flock is a reward in and of itself. We don't need anything extra. We don't have to deal with the grief and the the baggage that comes when, when we go astray. Verse 14, even so, it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. He's like, listen. It is the will of God that no one, no one should perish, but that everyone should have eternal life. That's his goal. That's what he wants. He is looking for all the lost. But we are talking about a separate group here. We are talking about a group of followers, ones that have heard his voice, that are following him and just happen to go astray. They are lost. So when we look at this passage, again, I want you to be reminded that when it says that they don't despise them, it's not talking about hating them. It's talking about don't think less than, don't look down on them. And it's talking about those young believers, those excitable believers, those believers that had that childlike faith and are mature in their faith, but they're still excited. They get excited about all the little stuff again. Maybe we as older Christians need to be excited and reminded of what that feels like. So we need to be careful that we don't look down upon that. Because Jesus says, bad idea, bad idea. Now it's interesting that he enters into this discourse about angels. Because we really don't know a lot about angels. We know what we read in scripture. But angels, we don't really see very much in our regular world. I think every now and again, things happen and we can attribute it to maybe angel work. But in the, in the studies that we did, there, there are kind of two groups of angels that we've got going on. Angels that work here on earth among us, and then angels that are in heaven that worship God constantly and go before him on our behalf. So here are five things that angels kind of are involved in and what they do. Number one, they continually play, praise and glorify God. Could you imagine what that sounds like? I don't, I don't even think we can fathom what that's really going to be like to hear the angelic beings singing holy, holy, holy for all eternity. There's no night and day there. There's no time period. It just happens all the time, continuously. Could you imagine how glorious, how encouraging, how uplifting that is? And that is one of their major responsibilities. Here's the second thing. They reveal and communicate God's message. Now we can go through the Old Testament and see where angels show up and say, here's what the Lord says. Or here's the angel of the Lord. I say this. Like there's so many different messages that have been brought about by angels. They have a huge responsibility in declaring God's message to us. Third thing is this. They minister to believers. Now this one can get a little sketchy. Because I don't know what that looks like or what that means. But I can tell you, we can look in scripture and see where angels have ministered to people already. So it's only natural for us to think about the possibility that we have been ministered to by angels and not even known it. There's scripture about that. We'll see it in just a minute. But think about this. How many times have you heard somebody say, hey, I was stuck on the side of the road or, or somebody came by and helped me when I was, uh, um, I don't know, I, my shoe broke in the city. Somebody stopped by and helped me. And the, they helped me and as soon as I looked up, they were gone. Never saw them again. You ever heard stories like that? Maybe. I don't know. I don't have all the answers about angels. And so it's very possible that it could have been. Because we have the example in scripture of that happening, so why would it be any different now? Here's the fourth thing. They execute judgment on the enemies of God. Think Sodom and Gomorrah. Those two dudes, they were ready to to battle. Those two guys were amazing. And angels all the time have been around. They show up and they execute judgment on the people of God, on the enemies of God, excuse me. And then lastly, this one's to come, but we read in Revelation that they are going to be involved somehow, some way in the second coming. 
they have an integral part of our world. They have, an, they have such an important part of the world that we can't see. But we need to acknowledge that they are there. Now, many of us always ask, okay, does that mean we have a guardian angel? I, I'm going to be honest, I'm not sure. I, I don't have an answer for that. But there are a couple of scriptures that kind of allude to that and let us think that maybe there are. Maybe when we read verse um, 10 and it says, they, your angels, are going before you or before God on your behalf. I can't say yes and I can't say no because I don't, I don't know how all that works. I would lean more to yes than I would to no. But in verse 10, this is what they're doing for us. Here's what Jesus lets us in on what's going on in heaven on our behalf, which validates and allows us to know that we should be encouraged because of how much God loves us. His angels, our angels, are going face to face before God. Nobody else gets to do that, but the angels do. And they're not just going to praise him and glorify him. They are going before him face to face and conversing with him on your behalf. That's good stuff. That empowers me to say, you know what? I've got people on my side. Nobody else in this world may be on my side. But my goodness, i got the angels going before God on my behalf. I can go about this world and do life the way that he's called me to do it because I've got people on my side. They have favor with him. He created them. They worship him. They glorify him. They have favor with him in order to be able to work on our behalf. That's that's such an important thought, folks. This is not just us trying to figure it out on our own and not being able to do anything and hopefully it just all works in the end. Listen, God has... Intimately orchestrated every working part to where we can be successes for him. All the way down to people on our side that we can't even see. That are pleading for us, fighting for us, working with us, ministering for us. Not even to mention Jesus. We haven't even got to him. We're just talking about the angels. Hebrews chapter 1 verses 13 and 14 says this. Again, Jesus speaking, but to which of the angels has ever said, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool? He's never said that to the, uh, to the angels, but he said that to us. He doesn't have to say that to the angels, but he has to say it to us. And so he says, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? That to me leads me to believe closer to that yes of having guardian angels. Angels that work with us. Will we see them? I don't know. I have no idea. The reality is, does it even matter? No, it doesn't matter at all. The idea is we have angels working on our behalf to God. That's big stuff. That's huge. Hebrews 13, 1 and 2. This is a popular one that we have all thought about and considered. He says, let uh, brotherly love continue. In other words, continue to be kind to one another. Why? Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. Now, again, people believe that maybe angels come in human form, and we give them money at the curb, or we pick them up on the side of the road and give them a ride, or we give them a place to stay. We do these weird things, and then we never see them again. Was that an angel? Maybe. Does it matter? No, what matters is, let brotherly love continue. Do what is right because you don't know who you're doing it for. Why? Because angels intermingle and do other things on this earth that we just aren't aware of. But Jesus takes this so very seriously. This idea of not looking down on these childlike faith, mature Christians. He says, the Son of Man, which is himself, came to save that which was lost. Now again, we're not talking about lost salvation-wise. We're talking about in the fold, gone astray, lost. So let's define lost. Again, the, the first two definitions help us understand like the salvation side of things. So it's not to be found or recovered. So it's so lost that you'll never ever find it again. That's not the lost we're talking about. Or maybe it's so destroyed and so ruined that it can't be restored. That's not the lost we're talking about. 
The lost we're talking about is helpless. You ever felt helpless in your Christian walk? You ever felt in that spot that you just, you can see it right in front of you, but you can't see how to get around it, over it, under it, through it, and get it out of the way? You feel helpless. That's the loss we're talking about. That going astray, you ever kind of wandered off a little bit? You know, this is the right path I'm on, but that looks really interesting over there. So I'm going to just kind of go over here and see what that's like. You ever done that? Appreciate the honesty? I have. You ever been bewildered or perplexed at what God's doing? Just so confused and frustrated and what were you thinking type things. That's the lost we're talking about. That's the position that believers can find themselves in. We're not talking about lost as no salvation. We're talking about salvation, but we're in a pickle. We're in a spot. The lost, no salvation, are really dealing with unbelievers. They are the truly lost, the ones that need Jesus. And they just don't know. Sometimes I scratch my head at us as believers when we look at non-believers or sinners and we go, why are they doing that? Do they not know any better? And the answer is, I don't know why they're doing it. And no, they don't know any better. So why should I get aggravated with them? They're just doing what they think is best. I get aggravated at believers that try to play like they're in this world. That's what I get frustrated with because you do know better. So when we talk about lost in this context, we're talking about a believer that is lost. And they're lost in the moment. You ever gotten lost in the moment? Got tied, uh, too tied in that conversation with a person of the opposite sex that you shouldn't be talking with? Maybe clicked that button one too many times? Stayed on the TV channel a little bit too long? Drove a little too fast? We get lost in the moment. And that little, still, small voice in the back of our, high, our minds say, Hey, hey, I'm over here. That's not where I'm at. You need to slow down. You need to stop clicking that button. You need to turn the TV off. You need to stop talking to this person. I want you to understand something. that These people are still a part of the flock. They've just kind of wandered off a little bit. They're still a part of the flock. And many of them just don't see the dangers. It's always interesting to me when people bring their problem and we, we sit and we talk about it. And a lot of times anybody can do this, especially if you're not the one with the problem. You can hear the issue and see the issues and the problems and the dangers all around the outside. But the person with the issue, the problem, they can't see it. It's so amazing to me. And what do you think the purpose of the shepherd is? You really think that sheep is looking over the edge of that cliff thinking, boy, that's a long way down. Don't think I'm going to make it if I fall off this one. He's not thinking that. He's thinking, oh, look at that shiny thing down there. I'm going to go get it. Right? And so the shepherd says, no, no, that's a little too steep for you. You can't fly. Come back over here. And the sheep just waddles right back over because that's what sheep do. We just don't see the danger. What's the problem with watching that movie? It's just a little nudity. What's the problem with watching that TV show? Just some of the things that they're promoting, I don't believe in, so I'm not, I don't, I'm not, I, I can handle it. What's wrong with just one click of the button? What's wrong with this innocent conversation with this person of the opposite sex that I'm sure my spouse will not approve of, but it's just, I'm just talking. I'll just take a sip. I'll just take a hit. You've started to stray. And before you know it, you'll be lost. That's scary to me, man. I don't like being lost. Listen, Sally will tell you, when we were uh, doing the youth group in Alabama, and we would take trips, the moment, in, the moment I knew I was lost, I was pulling over finding directions. Now that's not a normal guy thing. But I'm not proud. I don't want to waste time. I don't want to drive around. And I don't want 50 kids behind me screaming, we're lost. Where are you going? You don't know what you're doing. Like, I don't, I don't want to deal with that. I'm finding where I'm going and I'm, we're going. Like, I pulled over so many times because I got lost so often. I don't like being lost. I don't like going off the path. 
And yet sometimes I do. But thankfully, I have a shepherd who I know his voice. And when he calls, I come waddling back. The sheep, do you know sheep just wander? I mean, we don't really deal with sheep very much, but they do. They just kind of wander. They just wander off. They like the flock. They like to be in a herd. But every now and again, that blade of grass over there looked a lot shinier than the grass over here. So I think I'm just going to go over there. Or that trough of water, I'm kind of thirsty, so I'm just going to go over there. Who knows why they wander off? But they wander. They just take off and go. They don't know about the dangers. We talked about that. They don't know about that fast-moving water. It looks really smooth and still, but it's really fast with the undercurrent. It looks kind of steep, but I really want to get to the bottom. They don't see the dangers. But listen, they absolutely belong to the shepherd. They are his responsibility. He has been contracted by the owner of the sheep to take care of them, and he is responsible for every one of them. By the way, that's how I feel about you. I'm not responsible for how you choose to live, but I am responsible for the truth that I share with you and how I love on you. I'm responsible for that. So please stop screwing up. Make my life a little easier. (laughs) But I take it very seriously. I love doing this. I love my sheep. But I'm a sheep too. Because i got a shepherd that's watching over me and guiding me. But I am so glad that I know, that I know that I belong to him. So let's talk about the shepherd just for a minute. He is the caretaker of the sheep. It's his job. It's his responsibility. His reputation is on the line. If he lets sheep just wander and never brings them back, how much longer do you think he's going to be a shepherd? That's why it's important that he goes after the one. His reputation, his, his whole testimony is on how well he takes care of his sheep. He's a leader. And this leader is not just one that whacks him over the head with his staff or just only takes them where they, they want to go. He leads them. He sees the dangers and he avoids it. He knows the needs of his sheep and he leads them to what will satisfy them. That is the shepherd that we have. That is the shepherd that Jesus, he is for us. He loves us. He knows what we need and he leads us. But here's the kicker. The sheep recognize and understand and respond to the shepherd's voice. It's the reason when they go astray that he's walking around saying, Here, sheepy, sheepy, sheepy. Here, fluffy. I don't know whatever he calls. I don't know what they yell. But the moment that they hear his voice, they let out that little bleep. And then they start coming. And they start following his voice and return to him. Can, can I ask you a, a real question this morning? Can you even recognize his voice today? Are your ears so clogged that you can't even hear him? Is your heart so hardened that his voice does not reverberate anymore? Are you so distracted and so astray that when he calls, you're so far away, you can't even hear him yet? But even more than that, when you do hear his voice, what are you going to do? And tell you what the sheep will do, they'll come running. Because their shepherd provides overwatch for them. He sees the danger, he is watching over them through the night. Did you know that our great shepherd never sleeps nor slumbers? There's nothing that gets past him. Did you know that? Now, I sleep, sorry, y'all are out of luck. If you need me in the middle of the night, you're going to have to wait. That was funny. It's supposed to be. But our shepherd doesn't. He's awake when you wake up at 3 in the morning panicking, stressing out. He is very aware in that moment in the afternoon at the doctor's office when you get that news you weren't expecting. He's aware in that moment in the morning when your child gets up and they're sick as 
they've ever been. He's aware in that moment when you're alone at night and you're not sure what to think or what to do and you are, are just at the uttermost despair of your life. He's there and he's aware because he loves you and he's that serious about you. If you have your scripture today, if you have your Bible, I want you to go to Psalm 23. We're going to look at just how good our shepherd is. Now, I'm sure many of you have heard this passage probably spoken on a lot, and you've probably heard it <coughs> Excuse me, um, at funerals a ton. But the writer of the psalm lets us in on an idea of just how great our shepherd really is. The writer proclaims right off the bat, the Lord is my shepherd. You cannot go any further in this passage and understand it until that statement is true of your life. The Lord must be your shepherd for the rest of this stuff to take hold. We must understand what that looks like. When we say Lord and shepherd, it means he's in control. He calls the shots. I'm dead. He's alive. I live for him, and he is king. That's what it's about. And the writer says, the Lord is my shepherd. He's mine, and I am his. And I love where he continues. He says, I shall not want. Now, growing up, when I would read this and when I'd memorized it, in my head it didn't make sense. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want him. I don't want the Lord as my shepherd, I shall not want. That was before I understood English. <laughs> and understood that it means I shall not be in want. Or I shall not want anything. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not ever, ever be in want. You know what that tells me? He provides for me. He knows what I need before I need it, before I even know that I need it, and he has provided for me. The problem that we have is we're impatient, and we want what we want when we want it because of the entitlement society that we live in. We think we are owed something. Here's what we are owed, hell. I know that's not very fun and fancy free and sprinkles and rainbows and, and nice talk that a lot of our Christians want to hear today. But the reality is, if we can't understand what we deserve, then how can we appreciate what's been given? And what's been given is eternal life for us. He says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. Now, many of us would think if we're going to lie down in green pastures, the green pastures is what they eat. So why would I lie down in this green pasture? Because I'm already satisfied. I have all that I need. He's already met my wants and my needs. So now he is not only providing for me, but he is allowing me to be restful. I can rest in this green pasture. What better place to lay down and take a nap? In a lush, green, wonderful pasture that I am full in my belly, I am satisfied, and I can lay down and take a nap. Help me understand something, folks. We understand that and we amen that, and yet regularly we walk away from it. Why? We think it's greener on the other side? Come on. He leads me beside the still waters. Now, a lot of times on those still waters, I've been around a lot of rivers that are still, but they are fast. He's not taking me through it. He takes me beside it. He knows where the dangers are, and he protects me. He takes me where I need to go. He restores my soul. Hmm. How does he do that? Well, he protects me. He feeds me. He nourishes me. Loves on me, guides me, protects me. Many of us, even today, as believers, need to be restored in our soul. 
We've got a lot of church hurts. We've got a lot of Christian hurts. We've got a lot of baggage that we intentionally hold on to. It's time to let that mess go. It's time to allow the Spirit of God to restore our soul. To what? To that childlike faith. To bring us back to our first love, to the joy that only comes from Him. I, lo I love this next part. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. His name is on the line. His testimony, Christ's testimony, our great shepherd, his reputation is on the line by how he leads us. If he's leading us through rocky, crazy, chaotic scenarios, who's going to want to follow? But when he leads us on the path of righteousness, where there's no guilt, no shame, no law against living righteously, who's not going to want that? He takes us where we need to go, provides for the things that we need, and protects us, and nourishes us, and allows us to be restored. Why? Because his name's on the line. That's how serious he is about this. That's how much he loves you. That's how much he wants the best for you. Watch this. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. The walk to the valley of the shadow of death, I've always understood that to be, well, that's what he's talking about, the funeral part. No, no, no. What he's talking about is, yea, though I go through a valley, a hard time, a tough spot of the shadow of death, like it makes me feel like I'm going to die. When you go through those moments, when you get that doctor's report, or your boyfriend or girlfriend dumps you, or, or your life is just imploding, and you feel like everything is just done, that valley of the shadow of death that you just feel like you just want to die. I don't have to fear any evil. I don't have to fear the, the, the frustration and the hurt that's there. I don't have to fear what's coming next. I don't have to fear the unknown. Why? Because his rod and his staff, they comfort me. There's protection in that rod and that staff. There's safety. There's, there's rescuing that is provided in those moments that when I get distracted and I'm overwhelmed by the valley of the shadow of death, I can just stop where I'm at and wait for the shepherd to come and restore me. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. He says, listen, <laughs> I recognize that I'm going to be in the presence of my enemies a lot of times. And you're going to put me there. You're going to allow me to be there. But you're going to cover my head with oil so that their comments, their attacks will not penetrate or hurt me. That's the Savior. That's the shepherd we have. Did you know that they poured oil over the sheep's head to protect their eyes and their ears and their mouth when they slept? Because the bugs would get in there and just eat them out? Just wear them out. And so when he pours the oil over our head and our hearts and our lives, it is to protect us from the outside bugs. That's the shepherd we have. I love it. I love talking about him. I love what he does. I love how amazing he is. And I love the intricate care that he provides each and every one of us, when you go astray, he knows it and he comes looking for you. Love that. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I used to wonder what surely goodness was. Again, grammar hit me and I realized that's not surely goodness. It's surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I've always been curious, though, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Does that mean I've got to be in church every day of my life? Can I, can I just remind you of something? You are now the temple of God. And His Spirit resides in you. Therefore, He is always with you. And you can reside in the house of the Lord forever because He's always with you. That's the shepherd we have. That's how important he is, you are to Him. Not only does he want to protect you and lead you, but he has angels working around our clock to protect us and to fight for us before God. Woo! That's good. I like that. Sorry. I, that was brewing since this morning and I had to get that out. 
<laughs> he knows our need. He knows our needs for rest and nourishment and restoration. He knows those. He created you. He knows your ins and your outs, your good and your bad, your ups and your downs and all that's in between. He knows exactly what you need. He is the good shepherd that is fighting for you. He knows the path. And man, I'm so glad he has. There's so, so many times Sally and I just kind of throw up our hands and say, okay, if that's what you want us to do, we'll go. But having no idea what that looks like. That doesn't make us better. Just means that's the path we chose to take. It's how we chose to follow our shepherd. And you're stuck with us. So there you go. He provides safety and protection for us. I like that. Now, that does not mean that he's going to hold everything back, that he's not going to allow tough stuff to take place. But in those moments, the valley of the shadow of death, we don't have to fear what's coming because we know our shepherd is right behind it. He celebrates when we return. Why? I, I brought this up in the first service. Why is it that we celebrate all the mundane little things, but when someone walks away from the church or goes astray a little bit and then returns full repentance, full restoration, why do we not celebrate that? Why do we not make a big deal about that? Well, pastor, we don't want to embarrass them. That's embarrassing. We don't want to mistreat them or make them feel... And if he should find it, assuredly, I say to you, he rejoices more over that sheep than over the 99 that did not go astray. I think the church as a whole has done a really not so good job at celebrating those that have fully and truly returned to the flock. I'm not talking about embarrassing people. I'm talking about bringing glory and honor to our shepherd. To the great God and king who restores lives and brings them back to the fold. Because he left to go get them while we stayed here and did our job. That's good stuff. You know what's so good about this? He desires that none should perish. None of us. He didn't want any of us to be lost, not even the, the sinners to be lost, much less the flock to be lost. He doesn't like that. He doesn't want that for us. In fact, when we get to this verse, 2 Peter 3, 9, it says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some count slackness, which just means how we might consider you being slack if you didn't fulfill your promise on a timely manner. Jesus, God, just works a little bit on a different time frame. And so his Patience and his kindness towards us is a little bit longer lasting than what we might consider to be okay. So when it says the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, he's long-suffering towards us. He's far more patient with us. Why? He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Repentance of sin to salvation and repentance of sin to restoration of our salvation. Our shepherd is patient with us. He loves us. He wants the best for us. Why? Because he deeply cares for you. Listen, if, if you leave here hearing anything other than this, this is all I want you to get. He deeply cares for you. For you. Not, well, I hope this person hears this. You know in your heart if you needed to hear this or not, and to really believe it deep down. I don't know your heart, but the Spirit of God does. And He knows the ones that are struggling with this, that maybe have stepped away, gone astray a little bit, or are struggling in their own baggage of their own minds. And He's telling you this morning, I care about you. My question to you is, can you hear His voice this morning? So many times people say to me, Man, you were talking directly to me. How did you know? Well, let me, let me tell you something. That's not me talking to you. That's the Spirit working in your life. And if you're hearing the Spirit talk to you, then maybe, just maybe, you might need to listen and consider what He's talking to you about. Because I don't know. I just do what I'm told and speak as I'm spoken to. And then I'm done. Three questions. Here we go. Number one. Are you lost today? 
Now I'm going to deal with this in two different ways. As the praise team comes and prepares, maybe this morning you're lost, lost. Like you're not saved, you've never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you know that if you died right now, you would not be able to go to heaven. That's a different kind of loss, and that's a loss we really need to talk about. In fact, you can deal with it right here, right now. It's very simple. You acknowledge your need for Jesus, and you simply say, Lord, I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe that you died for my sins and that you rose again, and I want you to be Lord of my life. That's it. And it starts from there. And I know that seems really simple, but oh my goodness, how heavy that is. But let's go on the other side of the coin this morning. Most of us are probably believers in here today. Most of us are following along. Can I ask you an honest question? And I really want you to think about this. Are you lost today? I'm not talking about involved in gross sin and just really losing. I'm talking about, have you just gotten distracted and maybe stepped a step away that you're just not quite hearing the voice of God like you should? Or maybe you realize, I'm not quite where I need to be. Are you lost today? Well, let me tell you something. The voice of the shepherd is always calling. Always. Question number two, what do you need to trust the shepherd with today? Are you needing that rest? Are you needing that restorative power that he has? Are you needing the nourishment? Are you needing protection? Are you needing to to get maybe some of the, the fur off of you that you're carrying around you don't need? All that extra baggage? What do you need to get rid of today and trust him with and allow him to guide you through it? And then lastly... This is probably the most important question for me today. Do you really know how important you are to him today? I know it seems like a real cheesy question and one that seems just kind of, meh. Please, please ask this question to yourself. Alan, do you know how important you are to God today? Sometimes I forget. Sometimes I get lost in my own mess, my own thinking, and my own self-talk. And I have to gently be reminded, he's for me. He's not against me. He really does love me. And he's going to use whatever I'm going through for my good and for his glory.